0: Church of Jesus Christ, welcome to Line of Judah. Mass, no mass, cease, no, Hey, here we are, praise God. <laughs> welcome those of you who are listening in. Let's all turn to Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. Last Sunday, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. Actually, we're still celebrating it, amen. On the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter, and is this available in the NIV? Uh, Marlene? thank you, my dear. I'll be using the NIV throughout. On the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preached the first sermon about Jesus. Peter preached the first sermon about Jesus since his resurrection. People heard the gospel for the first time. And in that sermon, Peter declared, starting in verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, walking on water, healing the sick, calming the storm, feeding the 5,000, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The most important resurrection that the scriptures record is the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Today we will focus on the second most important resurrection recorded in scripture. The second most important resurrection recorded in scripture. ours Yours. I'll begin by sharing with you the worst news you'll probably ever hear in your life. And then after that, the most glorious news. The most glorious news you'll ever hear. You know, there are seasons when the Lord permits us as a community To experience an acute familiarity with death. We're losing folks from the greatest generation, people in their 80s and their 90s. Death was, they knew death. (laughs) It was at their doorstep. It was very common. These are times of war, times of plague, where God permits us as a community to come face-to-face, up close and personal with death. In Jesus' name, we are emerging, Lord, from such a season, this pandemic. In seasons like these, we all know someone who has been sick, all of us. And we all know someone, many of us, very up close and personal, in the last 18 months, who has died. I stand here as a member of that club. My uncle passed away during Holy Week of COVID symptoms. In many of the cases, we have prayed We have prayed that the sick recover. We do so. We do so because the word authorizes us and encourages us. And we believe that if we pray for the sick, they recover. We believe that. And we continue to believe that. And we continue to pray for the sick. In many cases, the Lord responds by healing our loved ones, which means what? he extends their days on this side of eternity for a little while longer. We get to keep our loved ones for another couple of months or weeks, maybe even years or decades. In other cases, they die. We pray, and in other cases, they die. Why? Why? And here's the bad news. Told you there'd be bad news first. Until the Lord returns for us all and puts death out of business, we will all die. (laughs) It is appointed. You've heard this verse. You don't hear it very often, but you know it. It's appointed for man to die once. Once. And after that, the judgment. That's in Hebrews. It's still in the Bible. We are all going to die. Oh my God, Pastor Sam, we're all gonna die. I'm sorry. Am I just breaking that to you now? I mean, (laughs) I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Now the good news, the glorious news. If there's a core truth, a core profession of what it means to be a Christian, it is this. This, if nothing else, is what it means to be a Christian. We believe that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. We believe that if it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus, likewise it is impossible for death to keep its hold on us. And this isn't just any good news, folks. This is the This is the good news. What in old English they called the good spiel. The good spiel. That came down and became the gospel. The gospel. The good news. We've been preaching on resilience. Folks, there's no one more resilient than someone who lives with what Ecclesiastes calls eternity in their hearts. There's no one more resilient that someone who believes that death itself can't hold you back. There's no one more resilient than a species of men and women who live like they're going to live forever doesn't get more resilient than that. That's the power of the resurrection. This morning we're going to visit again the doctrine of the resurrection and I hope we embrace it like our life depended on it. And we're gonna begin with this. There's nothing more at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Those who first professed Christ as savior saw the gospel and the resurrection as one and the same. For the first preachers and believers in Jesus The gospel was the resurrection. For this, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there, to the Corinthians, Paul declares, now, brothers and sisters, just like I'm doing this morning, 2,000 years later, I want to remind you. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Did you catch that? We take our stand here. By the gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise, you've believed in vain. It's that important. For what I received... I passed on to you as of the first importance. As of the first importance. And what was that? That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And then Paul, in, starting in verse 12, lets the Corinthians have it. He could not be more clear. Verse 12, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how could some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now folks, remember, This letter is addressed to believers, to believers. The secular and the cynical will say there's no resurrection out loud, especially these days. But there are many ways to say there's no resurrection, even if you don't say it aloud. We can say it in our silences. We can reason and make decisions and walk this earth and live out our days as if there was no resurrection. Even professing the resurrection, we don't think and walk and believe as if there were. Verse 13, if there, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is just common sense. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. In line of Judah, so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God, that he raised Christ from the dead. And that, that, that's, that's, that's our sermon, folks. That's our gospel. But he didn't, if he did not, if God, if he did not raise him, in fact, uh, if, if he did not raise him, uh, If in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So what? If Christ has not been raised, your faith, everything that we believe, everything that we have sung this morning everything that we teach to our kids in Sunday school, every track you've ever handed out, every testimony that you have shared, it's all futile. And you are still in your sins. Whoa, did you catch that? Did you hear what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, depends not just on Jesus' sacrificial death, but on his resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness. If there's no resurrection, no salvation, which means, next verse, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ and that we've buried are lost. If only for this life, it doesn't, I love the way Paul keeps it real. If only for this life, we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're pitiful folks. Translation, without the resurrection, this is all a colossal waste of time. The gospel becomes a cheap self-help program. Maybe give up cigarettes, lie a little less, stop cheating on your wife, maybe get a better job. Is that it? Is that it? Is that all there is? Paul says he signed up for more than that. I... Signed up for more than that. You were invited into a gospel that means more than that. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The gospel says that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead on his own And those we have lost will follow, and so will we. That's what we believe. That's the gospel. And that promise that with Jesus we will conquer death comes from an unimpeachable source. The most unimpeachable source. Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Let's go to John. Chapter 14, beginning with the first verse. Now this is seen here, this is hours before Jesus is led away, arrested, and is himself killed on a cross. And to the twelve he says, Don't let do not let your hearts be troubled by what you're about to see. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. We're one in the same. (laughs) My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, I'm not lying to you. Now, this is extraordinary. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see Jesus coming as close to an oath as we see in this line, where he emphatically says, this is true. This is Jesus, who is yes and amen, is emphasizing here this. Why? Because he knew that if there was a truth that the enemy would attack ferociously, it would be this one. It would be this one. So he emphasizes, folks, this is true. And if I go and prepare a place for you in verse three, I will come back and take you to be, to be with me that you also may be where I am. That you also may be where I am. Jesus here promises That wherever he is, call this space and time eternity. Or call it heaven. Or call it whatever you want to call it. We will be with him. Near him. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we have proximity to Jesus? Why is it so important to him that we may be near him? Verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, ever the practical one, says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus, looking at him with the minutes ticking, answers, I am. I am the way. I am the way. And the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me no one comes to the father except through me note something do you ever notice this jesus did not say he was the way to heaven although he is he said he was the way to where to the father he said he was the way to the Father. Eternal life is not about a place. It's not about a place. This is the same Jesus who said, you know, you keep asking me where, where the kingdom of God is, where the kingdom of heaven is. It's among you. It's with you. It's walking among you. It's walking among you. Eternal life Flows from the Father. And to us, through Jesus, life, eternal life, flows from him. He's the source. Earlier, Jesus unequivocally declares this in John chapter 10. I give them. How's that for preposterous? I give them eternal life. Jesus says, it comes out of me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me, he's greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I And the Father are one. You found Jesus. You found God. You found God. You found life. If you found life, you will never die. That is the equation that makes us Christians. And in the next chapter, chapter 11... At the grave of Lazarus, buried four days, he demonstrated what he meant by that statement. When he assures his sister at the graveside, he tells Martha, your brother, your brother Lazarus will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the last day. I've... uh, I see Pastor, you say, yes, and we're kind of funeral veterans. I know what it's like to (laughs) approach a bereaved family member and remind them, you know, you're going to see your auntie again. You'll see your mom again. We'll see them again. And have the bereaved look at us respectfully. I know in heaven, please shut up, Pastor Sam. Not now. And Martha kinda gave Jesus the treatment. Yes, I, I know. Resurrection last day. Thank you for showing up, Jesus. We have refreshments in the basement. Appreciate it. says, Martha, you don't get it. I am the resurrection. Martha, you can't conceive of this, but open your... Let me say this slowly. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Even though they die, they live. And whoever lives by believing in me Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Will never die. And he looks into her soul and he asks her, Do you believe this? Line of Judah. Do you believe this? Do you talk like you believe this? Do you work and walk and go through life like you believe this? Do you pray like you believe this? Do you confront your trials like you believe this? Do you face your challenges, your setbacks, your losses, and your oh my gods like you believe this? Do you talk to your unsaved family like you believe this? Do you post on Instagram and Facebook like you believe this? Do you receive that awful diagnosis with the doctor shaking his head like you believe this? Do you go and show up for that funeral and show up for that burial with your heart in your hand like you believe this? Because everything is riding on this. Everything. Everything. Because when we face the ultimate foe, when we face the abyss of death, to believe this makes all the difference in the world. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul goes to a really hard place. And we're going to go there together too. Brothers and sisters, he says, to a people who have experienced an epic of death like Lion of (laughs) Judah. A lot of funerals, a lot of mourning. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I need you to look up here for a second. We grieve. When death separates us from our loved ones, we grieve. Jesus himself wept at the graveside of Lazarus before he raised him from the dead. Here's the difference. Without this hope, without believing that Jesus is the resurrection of the dead, death would be an insufferable abyss, an insufferable abyss. To tell you the truth, I don't know how people who don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in the resurrection do it. I'll be honest with you. I'm a Christian because I'm a weakling. I'm a Christian because I need to believe that there's something more. I'm a Christian because the abyss of death, losing my mom, losing my dad, losing my friends, losing the people I love, would be, would be a nightmare. An abyss. If I did not sincerely believe that we have this hope, without this hope, we'd go nuts. But... We have verse 14. We believe. Say we believe. Your neighbor may still be six seats away, but turn to your neighbor. And you tell your neighbor, I never do this. Sorry, folks from the black church, I am incorporating a tradition. Sorry, but we need to do this now. Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, we believe. Say it louder. We believe. We believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, you're going to hear this a lot. We believe that God will bring with Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in them. Pastor Sam, where are they? Where is my husband? Where is my son? Where is my mom? Where are they? Where are our loved ones? You know, are they in limbo? Are they, you know, in some nether world? Are they, are they, you know, in a blessed sleep? Where are they? To be honest, I don't know. I do know who they're with. I know who they I know who's with them. God will bring with Jesus. Those who have fallen asleep in Him, wherever it is they are, they are with Jesus. And if they are with Jesus at the Dunkin' Donuts on Mass Ave, the Dunkin' Donuts on Mass Ave is heaven. Is heaven. Wherever Jesus is, if my mom is with them, if my dad is with him, if your son is with them, if your child is with them, if your husband is with him, they're OK. They're fine. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Will rise first. Our friends who went ahead of us, they get first dibs. They get first dibs. They're the first to follow in in the resurrection, and then us. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be. And when you hear we will be, it is us and them. It's the royal we. Nothing will be lost. No one will be lost. The dead, the living, the ancients call them the quick and the dead, will all be with Jesus together. Forever. Forever. And line of Judah, why am I preaching this? Because Paul writes, therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the next thing you're going to say. Here you've got your next Facebook paste, post. Just Yesterday. Precisely that. We received a pay Facebook hit about even in this era of emerging, someone, you know, a, a family member of a member of our church passed away. We're going to be together. Jesus promises that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'll tell you what. What does it matter? They'll be with Jesus forever. And here, so much of what it means to be a Christian is God giving us an anointed, Jesus-centered imagination. You had an imagination when you were a child. You played, you created all kinds of worlds. Then Satan came along and maybe Contaminated that imagination and used it for his ends and enslaved you. Now I'm declaring in Jesus' name over you a liberated, sanctified imagination. Because what it awaits us defies even your imagination. You can't conceive of this But this much I can tell you, once we are with Jesus, we'll discover that the resurrection, and bear with me here, the resurrection isn't just about living again. It's not just about living again. I think we'll discover, for the first time, (laughs) for the first time, what it means To really live. I don't think we've lived yet, not fully, not for real. And after the resurrection, we're all gonna experience and we're all gonna know what it means to be really alive. Really alive. As I was preparing the sermon, I was like, what do we compare this to? Just comparing this life to the life that awaits us. Bear with me. It's not even a perfect comparison, but it's the best we could do. Comparing this life to the life that awaits us is like comparing our life in the womb with our life after birth. It's like comparing the first nine months of your existence on this earth to what happens after that. Well, what am I talking about? In the womb, we were nourished. We didn't know where it was coming from. Our mom was nourishing us, but we were nourished. In the womb, we slept, we moved. It was a little constricting. (laughs) But we asked your mom, is she still around? Mom, did I move? And she's probably going to look at you with, yes, you sure did. We, we we slept, we moved, we grew, we were comfortable, we felt safe. A lot of people say we dream, our babies dream. I don't know what. <laughs> they don't have much to dream about. But they do, it was all we knew. The womb was all we knew. Then one day, something violent happens. Something violent happens and we are pushed out of that world. You are pushed out of that world. Now, and if babies could talk, if we could record our thoughts from that day, what would they say? I, I, I imagine them saying, what's happening? What's happening to me? My world is coming to an end, oh, woe is me. My, my cool little world. What's going on? And then they open their eyes. And what they see is this huge, multicolored, multi-senses world. A whole new world. It's still us. You're still the same baby. You've grown up a little. You've grown up plenty. It's still you. It's, now you are you know, you're in another form. You've been transformed. Apt to this, but you were created for this bigger world. John caught a glimpse of this world. In Revelation 21, he writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven. A new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Where God is, heaven is. God comes down, heaven comes down. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, King James says, Behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This has been God's desire from the moment he created us in the garden, that we should be with him. And where he is, there is life. Where God is, there is life. Where Jesus is, there is life. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And he said, write this down, folks. For these words are trustworthy and true. Folks, I know the word says that there will be no tears. You don't have to take this interpolation from Pastor Sam but as I was reading through this I know it says there will be no tears but I believe that means tears of pain I mean I I believe the word says there will be no more tears of mourning no more tears of shame the devil has been locked up and the Lord has thrown away the key No more of those tears, no more of that. No more of that. But I believe there'll be room for tears of joy. I can't imagine (laughs) not being room for tears of joy where the Lord turns our mourning into gladness. Are there people you're looking forward to see, who've been with Jesus, who are with Jesus, who are waiting till God makes all things new? I can't imagine hugging on those folks without tears of joy. And then we'll all turn our faces to the radiant glory of the one who made it happen. And we will fall on our faces. Folks, this is one last note, but important. I believe, and I believe the Lord makes this very clear, that the resurrection actually begins now. Pastor Sam, what am I talking about? You embrace Jesus. You draw near to God now. And he... The resurrection in the life begins to conquer conquer death in your life now. You don't realize this. But you're either, you know, there's a movie back in the 90s that said the tagline was, you're either, you know, you either get busy living or you get busy dying. And without Jesus, we're getting busy dying. Once we embrace Jesus, we start getting busy living. Death begins to fall off you, little bits of death that have been clinging to you begin to fall off you like scales falling off your eyes. You begin to think like a new way. Why are you thinking a new way? You're thinking like somebody who's alive. Someone with a hope, someone with a future. Someone who is beginning to believe they're going to live forever. You know, last, I, I see, I, I see Brother Jerome here, amen, and like crazy. And I can't help but, rem- y'all remember that video from last week? It's a, it's, it's a process that we've seen over and over again. As simple as this Jesus, I receive you into my life. And I want, and let me receive your life, let me receive eternal life. And it's unseen, but he begins to work in there. And, and I love what, what Jerome said in that video. I, I, I re- I re- the Lord gave me my sanity. My sanity. It's a different walk. It's a different talk. It's a Why? Because you're living with eternity in your heart now. Death begins to lose its grip on you now. You begin living forever now. The Lord begins to resurrect you now. And once we are born into Christ in the resurrection, the rest is details. But the life in Christ, we begin to enjoy that right now. Please stand, church. If any of you in this sanctuary this morning as we prepare to leave have just heard this sermon and you're saying to yourself, you know, Pastor Sam, I never First of all, my apologies for the church of Jesus Christ. It's very possible that you've gone through church and you've not heard a sermon on the resurrection. Except at a funeral. For that, I'm sorry. We preach the resurrection in this church. We believe it as a living thing. And we believe the Lord has it for you. And if it ever has occurred, it's just... Pastor Sam, I want to live that way. I want death to start falling off of me now. I want to think that way, the way you are. I want that. I've been I've been going to church all my life, but I don't know that. I want to receive in my heart and soul and mind and everything within me eternal life in Jesus. If that's you. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Lord, bless you. 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 Lord, begin the work. You know where all these hands are in their walk. You know where they all are. You know the work that you're doing in them. Father, I see, I see some folks, the Lord, that are probably entering into the kingdom for the first time. And in Jesus' name, receive them. Put your seal on them. Write their name. Revelations calls it a book. Write their name. Father, make a reservation with their name on it. Make a reservation with their name on it for the grand bread and breakfast called the life of eternity. Father, we, Father that your eternity begin in them today. We live for you, and because we live for you, we're going to live forever. Church, we're going to live forever. What do you think of that?